Well, welcome, 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 everybody. Welcome back. This is the Obsessible Podcast. And on this show, I, your host, will talk to you about TV and movies just as I would when I'm talking to my girls, my colleagues, my booze, and my bathe. So this is episode seven, and this is going to be a different animal altogether. We're going to do things a little bit differently on this episode. I, I say that like I don't, I haven't done things differently on other episodes. But it's okay. It's okay. We're going to be extra different today. <laughs> How about we just be extra? Because you know I'm extra. Anyway, um, so different. Different is the name of the game. This is an all movies episode. Yeah, you heard me right. All movies. So I've kind of watched quite a bit of film in the month of July, took in quite a few movies, which was nice because, you know, I've said on this podcast before that movies have been kind of like losing my attention. Like it's kind of been hard to get me to be like, I'm excited about this movie. Um, So it was nice to be able to find some new movies that I actually wanted to watch and um, that uh, I was interested in. So I have some thoughts and I'm going to share them. If you are new here, welcome to the Obsessible Podcast. I, as I mentioned, am your host. My name is Nicole, also known as Nikki, to my besties. And if you're listening, you are now totally one of my besties. And I have been acquiring them. And now I have been acquiring them internationally. We have expanded beyond North America, folks. Yes, yes, that was me clapping for myself. Y'all should try it. Clap for your damn selves, okay? Um, <laughs> I'm so happy that we now have an international audience. And uh, I hope that you guys can speak English or you're listening to this through a translator. In either way, I'm so, so, so psyched about that. I've got international besties. Just makes a girl feel good. Anyway, thank you so much for listening. Let's increase this tribe that we're building here, this now international little tribe that we got going, um, and tell a friend, honey. Tell a friend and tell a friend. Also, don't forget to subscribe and follow. If you haven't noticed, I have a good old time when I'm doing this. I have so much fun when I'm talking about these shows and these movies, and I'm bringing you this Hollywood tea, and we're over here doing a little kiki, and we're laughing. And so that's the energy that I want you guys to bring as my listeners. So with that being said, we encourage we encourage foolishness on this podcast. Like, I mean, I'm talking to you. Y'all talk back. I know I cannot hear you and everyone else around you will look at you like you're crazy, but you're not. You're talking to your bestie and this is what and how we do. So what are we talking about on today's episode? We have films starring a bevy of beauties, some badass babes, and some hot to trot mamas. I don't know how this happened, but almost all the films I'm going to review today are led by women, like leading ladies. That's going to be the name of this episode. I hadn't named the episode up until this point, so (laughs) thanks to my creative genius. Uh, We're going to name it Leading Ladies. Anyway, we've turned a corner into some new territory in Hollywood, but I will say this. Although I love watching women go hard on film, I also want to see it done in a great way and not all of these films satisfy. No, I am not going to keep doing my own sound effects. (laughs) That being said, 
the films that I chose to talk to y'all about today are Zola and Black Widow. Those are going to be our What Was Up films. For What's Up Now, I chose Netflix, Netflix's homage to 90 slasher flicks, the Fear, the Fear Street trilogy, and In Keeping with the Horror Theme, A Quiet Place Part 2. I also chose Gunpowder Milkshake. And to wrap it up for what's up next, I chose Jolt, eh, starring Kate Beckinsale, and The Jungle Cruise, starring Dwayne Johnson and Emily Blunt. So that's two Emily Blunt films we're going to be talking about on this episode. Literally covering almost every genre of film, so there's a little bit of something for everyone, so I definitely want you guys to stay tuned. If I have talked about or mentioned a film that you have said to yourself, oh my god, I totally want to see that, or I saw that and I definitely want to hear what she has to say about it. Now, as for what's happening in Hollywood, I'm going to be giving you some updates on movies that are coming to the screen, casting announcements, release dates, and new and new trailer drops for the most anticipated movies for the rest of this year and into next. And then to wrap it all up at the end of the episode, we're going to get some hilarious treat, tweets about these films in Twitter Me Laughing. For that particular segment, I chose tweets about the film Zola. And by the end of the episode, by the time we get to that segment, you're going to totally understand why I chose Zola. Right? So, this is what you guys got to do now. Grab a snack. Grab a drink. Get comfortable. Pop your earbuds in. Let's go for a walk. Let's go for a drive. Let's put the baby to sleep. Let's get in a workout. I don't know what y'all going to do and how, how I'm going to be enhancing your little experience or your environment, but that's what you guys got to do and do it now. This is Obsessible. I am Nicole, and I am so glad that you are here. Oh, isn't that the one where the guy becomes limitless? Oh, isn't that the one where the guy becomes limitless? Okay, so first up, first film is Zola. So, for what was up, first film, Zola. Let's start with who's in the movie. <laughs> I'm going to do with the top build cast. It stars Taylor Page, Riley Kiao, Kao, Ko, I don't know. Sorry, Riley. <laughs> so sorry. And Coleman Domingo. First off, let me just say that this movie is very divisive and that... Based on the reactions of the people who watched it on Twitter and tweeted about their experience, they don't know whether or not to love this film or hate this film, to laugh or be disturbed. And I will say that that is a very, 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 very accurate description <laughs> of my internal conflict that I had when I watched this film. So let's get into it. This movie requires as much story to explain it as it does to discuss it, okay? Zola came out well, Zola came about, sorry, not came out, but child, I don't know, did she? Anyway, <laughs> uh, Zola came about in a rather interesting and unique way as it goes for Hollywood film development. In September of 2015, at Zola Moon tweeted out a story in 148 tweets that recounted the details behind how she met, traveled with, a, and traveled with a new friend to Tampa, Florida in order to go and strip. Uh, AKA a hoe trip. They went on a hoe trip. And um, 
there was a bunch of disturbing and sometimes hilarious situations that occurred during this trip. Now, I actually read the thread and I found it hilarious. And at the very least, I was thoroughly entertained by the thread. And there was a there was a charm to it for sure. Like it was it was it was fun. It, it was you know it was fun. I, it was charming, interesting, and fun. That's that's what we'll say. However, that charm definitely does, in my opinion, obviously because this is all my podcast, so it's all my opinion. But I'm gonna say that anyway. Um, the charm doesn't translate to the film. Um, like I said. The film has definitely divided, divided the critics critics and the audience. Uh, and so let me just emphasize and let me just be clear about this. This movie is based on a Twitter thread that went viral. Yeah, you heard me right. We making movies from Twitter threads now, okay? Get your 140-odd characters game up because you could be next. Anyway. <laughs> um. So... Warnings. Let me give you the warnings now. This film features sex work and trafficking, drug use, and explicit language. Talking about full frontal nudity. It also features extremely powerful, wonderful performances from the top bill cast. Taylor Page as Zola, Riley as Stephanie, and Coleman Domingo as X. They were all fantastic. I will also say that technically this movie is brilliant. Uh, from a direction and cinematography and production design standpoint, this film is flawless. It is beautiful filmmaking. Like it's 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 a wonderful film to sit and actually experience. But overall, it's actually a really tragic story, and it's really quite scary. And it paints a really very real picture of how things can go very much awry when you trust the wrong people. And what kind of actually made it worse for me is the fact that this all happened to someone in real life. Okay. Um, so let me say the story introduces, and it also, you know, introduces a very sticky subject, which is the friendships between black and white women. Um, it actually sheds a little bit, uh, sheds a bright light or shines, not sheds, not shedding anything. It's shining glaringly into your face. Um, a bright light on why black women can have and do experience feelings of mistrust when it comes to befriending white women. Um, watch the movie. You'll see what I mean. I hope you see what I mean because it's kind of, I'm a black woman, so it's glaringly obvious for me. If it's not for you, pay attention to that. Um, and I would want to say it's nuanced, but I almost feel like it's not really. There's one uh, scene in particular. Uh, this is the scene in the car where they're on their way um, to Tampa and Stephanie is telling a story and she's recounting this story about how she basically told off a black female stripper. Now, without Zola's reaction to Stephanie's story, you might not realize that there's an issue, but it's really about the language that Stephanie is using um, as she's telling this story. And based on Zola's reaction, you could tell that she's uncomfortable and she's not here for it. But also you can tell that she's not the only one who's uncomfortable. There are other people in the in the car, including Stephanie's boyfriend, who's also white. Um, and you could kind of see that he's kind of like, I don't know what to do here. Like, do I, but he, he does, they in, insert some levity in that moment. But at the same time too, it's like, don't we always just insert levity into these uncomfortable ass situations and don't actually address why what 
the, the whole way that story Stephanie was telling her story was just like wrong. Right? Like, let's move past that. Let's 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 normalize stopping people in the middle of their foolishness and saying, sis, 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 pipe down. Because what you're what's coming out your mouth is coming out left. How about we, we normalize that? Normalize telling people what's what instead of allowing them to continue on in their bad behavior. But I mean, this whole film is about bad behavior. So, yeah, you know, here I am trying to expect characters to be woke when they're already embroiled in such tragic foolishness. I mean, there are so many tragic moments in the film that it's kind of hard to quantify all of them. Um... And again, there are a lot of very scary moments. Um, a lot of, like, and I, I, you know, I feel like at the end, it just made me sad. Like, it made me sad for Stephanie and the choices that she was making. It made me sad for Zola that she thought that some of this this stuff that she was being exposed to was cool in a way. Like, she kind of flipped it and made it all right. I don't know. None of it was all right. Not one freaking fracking stitch of it was okay. And I think outside of the fact that the story is not funny, um, even though when I first read it, it was funny on film. No, not funny. Uh, it's very disturbing, actually, to see it play out on film. And um, I think the only other criticism I would have of the film is Coleman Domingo's Nigerian accent. He could have just did a lot more work on that. Um, he really needed to elevate that that you know or, or just not have chipped into the accident at all because he jumps back and forth between uh an american accent and um and a nigerian accent and the nigerian accent requires work i'm not gonna i'm not gonna harp on that even though it may have seemed like i was i'm not harping on that because coleman overall was brilliant in the film um and, and just good uh then and oh can i also say one one other thing that was done really well narration the way that the film was narrated was very 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 good uh i've talked about narration on this podcast before and how sometimes it can just be missed and not used right or not used well um and sometimes the voice is is what's required right um for that but in this particular case it's taylor page as zola doing the narration she does a great job um, and she's, and the timing, it's timing too, right? And it's extremely well-timed in terms of the narration. The timing and pacing of the film is a little bit, mm, for me, sticky. Um, but, um, like I said, I almost feel like the direction and cinematography make up for all of the, the faults that the film could potentially have. Um, so I rented this, I had to rent it. So I rented it on Amazon Prime. Um, and like I said, overall... It's the technical aspects of the film that make it worth it for me. Otherwise, way too disturbed to really actually fully enjoy it. And I will say watch at your own risk. Certainly not, and I repeat, not okay for kids. Not okay for children. Not okay for children. Not, not okay for teenagers. I want not okay for teenagers, okay? Uh... Yeah. And if you do find out that a teenager in your life has watched it, you need to sit, a, sit them down and talk to them about what they saw and explain to them how dangerous situations like this can be um, and really get into the perils of it. Because that's really that's really the true the true lesson to take away from the film is how dangerous situations like that could be. OK, 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 OK. On to the next film, Black Widow. 
So we waited a really, really, really long time for this film. So, but before I let me jump in, um, let me tell you who's in it. So obviously we know it stars Scarlett Johansson as the Black Widow herself, David Harbour of Stranger Things, um, <laughs> and Florence Pugh from Fighting With My Family in Midsummer, and Rachel Wise from The Mummy, and also from Constantine. Um, I, I when I saw her, I was like, oh my god, where you been? What you been? What you been doing? She's been doing stuff. She's been doing stuff. I just haven't been seeing the stuff that she's been doing, but she's definitely been doing stuff. Um, but uh, my favorite Rachel Wise films are the Mummy films that she was in, hands down, by far. Just absolutely loved her in those. I also really like Constantine, and she's been in stuff since then. Like, those are kind of dated, but most people will know her from there. That's the top build cast, uh, not including the main villain who's, uh, I didn't name here, but that's fine. In any case, so like I was saying, we waited a really long time for this film. Like, we obviously didn't know that a pandemic was coming. And we obviously didn't know what kind of disruption it would cause when it came to both in-flight productions as well as distribution. So luckily, Black Widow was done, wrapped up, tied up with a bow, post-production, post done. Marketing had begun. And then, pause, no distribution for you, no theatrical release for you. And that caused some problems and that more on that later. So it's only because of the fact that obviously Marvel films are associated with Disney Studios. Disney Studios being the, the parent company. And they have a streaming arm. And I am 100% down with the fact that they decided to do a simultaneous release between theaters. Because things had opened up more and as well as doing premiere access on Disney Plus for those people who wanted to watch the movie from home and didn't were not ready to brave the theaters yet. I felt like that was a completely reasonable and practical decision to uh to make for for the company. They pushed back the release of the film multiple times and hoped obviously to get the largest box office that they could, but they obviously you know, it's it's perilous times. What we're going to do, hold the film forever, which literally will hold up every other uh, Marvel release that's going to come forward. And, you know, this is a tightly run ship and they have plans. And we, we, we want to be privy to, the, we're not privy, obviously, to all the plans, but we want to see these things come to fruition. And we want to move past the enduring legacy of the Avengers in the forms that we had seen them in. So in order to do that, we got to release films. We got to get content out there to the people. And so they decided to put the movie out, both in theaters and on streaming. All right. So in usual Marvel fashion, Scarlett, the Scarlett Johansson-led Black Widow wraps up the mysterious Natasha Romanoff with a beautiful bow. Like they really, mwah, chefs kissed her character and sent her off into the abyss of the soul stone, which is, you know, how we lost her, um, at the end of infinity war. Um, it gives us some backstory into her and which gives some an insight into her, lets us know who she is, kind of where she's come from. And also does a really good job of explaining, um, what happened while she was on the run between the Avengers civil war movie and Endgame, um, and Endgame and into Infinity War. It also explains why she was blonde when we finally got her back. Now, it's the little details. It's the little details. These are, this, which is part of the reason why Marvel is so damn good at storytelling stories. And I, I'm sure I'm not the only one who noticed that when they finally did watch Black Widow. Um, 
All right, so what's happening in the film? Natasha is basically reunited with her first family, quote unquote family, uh, when her little sister, played by Florence Pugh, sends her a chemical agent, which is used to protect the human brain from chemical subjugation, basically protected from mind control. But by this time, um, uh, she is basically, Florence that is, is basically already being hunted by the taskmaster and her fellow widows, which is news to Natasha. So, you know, newsflash, Natasha, the Red Room that trained you, reared you, gave you all of these special skills, stole your choices from you, um, has in fact not been destroyed as she had thought. And the evil mastermind um, behind the film, behind the Red Room and the Black Widow program is alive and well. So, okay, like blow for blow, right? So Natasha has now come to this knowledge. She's at the same time as being on the run. She's the one thing that Black Widow is really good at is compartmentalizing, or at least this depiction of her. She's really good at, at compartmentalizing because she's on the run, right, from S.H.I.E.L.D. trying to escape them because she broke the Sokovia Accord and simultaneously discovers, wait a minute, hold on. So the program that I thought I had destroyed uh, and the man that I thought I killed because uh, I really wanted to stop him from destroying the lives of all countless other women has not ended and there are countless other women who are now affected. Wonderful. Uh, mission one, kill him. Okay. Well, cause really with it, what else are we going to do right now? Aside from stay out of jail, kill the guy. That's what we got to do. Um, so aside from figuring all of this stuff out, all of this new information coming at her, she, like I said, makes a decision. Dude's got to die. This film definitely stands up all on its own. I mean, it has some seriously strong action, action sequences. I almost feel as though they decided to do this film when they were making the decision. They were like, hmm, what haven't we done? Let's do that. Which is everything, everything. I feel like they threw every single type of action sequence that they could think of at us in this movie. And I mean, especially the final scenes, they were crazy, crazy good. Okay, crazy good, but nuts. I was like, "Whoa, really? That's what that's what we're doing." Okay, this is how we're gonna fight. We're fighting in a whole new type of situation here. This is nuts, but I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed the spectacle. Plot was pretty standard fare. Um, in the reveal at the end, I totally saw coming. I will say this: this is something that I don't like, and this is gonna come up throughout this entire podcast. I'm gonna talk about it in almost every single film: misogyny. So I've been watching, like I said, I've been watching more movies and a lot of them are featuring female characters, action, science fiction action uh, included. And there is something that's been coming up and I'm getting nervous about it because I do not want female stories to go in this direction. So let me explain. When I'm watching a film where the antagonist is male and the protagonist is female, I don't want his motivation to be misogyny. I want him to be evil because it's profitable to be evil. So in the case of Dracov, who is the uh, the mastermind behind the Red Room and the Black Widow program, I wanted to him to have chosen women because they made the most sense to use as weapons for infiltration. You know, in most in patriarchal society, burn it all down. But I mean, at the end of the day, 
In certain situations, in certain aspects, women can be ignored. They can slip, slide into certain circumstances, situations, and blend in and gain access by any means necessary um, in order to in order to do the things that he needs them to do. I felt like that his explanation was annoying. Like, it was annoying to me. He was like, you know, there's too many little girls. Like, what? I didn't need that from you. What I needed you to be was like, women made the most sense. And of course, I was going to use the tool that made the most sense in order to concoct and, 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 and exploit all of these nations and to have my plans come to fruition. Why did it have to be like, oh, there's a proliferation of girls and there's too many? What? Shut up. Like, go ahead, go sit down somewhere. Like, I just didn't need that. But literally, that was probably like a one drop of misogyny that was in this particular film. And of all of the ones that I've seen so far that I've had this problem, Black Widow has it the least. Um, and also they have it the least because largely, although the bigger bad is men, the smaller bad is women. And that's what I want to see. In female-led action films, I want to see chicks fighting chicks. I don't want to see chicks fighting men because what's the point? I mean, like, truth be told, yes, there's going to be, like, it's all fun and games, right? You know, this small diminutive woman gets the upper hand, but then I have to suspend belief a little too much. What I want to see is diabolical women at the seat, you know, helming the evil empire. I want them to be sociopathic and psychotic. I want them to be the worst of the worst. And I want my hero to go up against that and defeat that. Um, that's what I want to see. Uh, and if we're going to make, make my female heroes fight men, then I want him to just be like any other gangster, horrible monster person, just doing it for the sake of the fact that he wants to make money. I mean, can he just not be like commercially minded? Just, he doesn't need to hate women in order to do it. That's, that's, that's all I'm trying to say. Okay. That's, that's all I'm trying to say. Anyway, this film is a great addition to the MCU and the timeline overall. I really enjoyed it. It was definitely worth the watch. It's currently streaming with Premiere Access on Disney+. Plus. Once you pay for it once, that's that's it. You got it. Um, And, you know, if you're not ready to pay for it, give it a few months. It'll definitely be on Disney Plus for free by the end of the year for sure, as long as you have a subscription. Um, like I said, definitely worth the watch. Currently streaming on Disney Plus with Premiere Access. That is Black Widow. Okay, so first film for what? What? Oh no, 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 no. This is also a what was up film. <laughs> Clearly, I don't know the order of my own segments. Yeah. Also a what was up film. Okay, I went with this one: Gunpowder Milkshake, because uh, I had to see it. This this was one of those movies that was like. Of course, I'm going to see this. This is this is not like this is not even a question. Why the cast? The cast? The cast? The cast is nuts. Angela Bassett, Lena Headey, Carla. I never say her last name right, so Carla, girl, sorry. Gugino, I think. Karen Gillian, Paul Giamatti, Michelle Yeoh. What? This that's madness. That's madness to have all that flyness in one cast. And then go and do this. 
I was so disappointed. I'm not. I had high, 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 high hopes. I really wanted to love this movie. I wanted to love it. And I, at the end, I don't love it. <laughs> I so don't love it. I, I don't, I don't even like it actually. It's, it's tolerable. Um, and that makes me, it's, it's, and that's so frustrating because the cast. So, okay. Let me also tell you guys this. Okay. Quick story time. Right before I saw this movie, I found out that Karen Gillian played Nebula. I didn't know that. Like, I don't know why I didn't know that. Just don't judge me, okay? Because I just didn't know, right? Anyway, I knew Karen Gillian from Jumanji. Loved her in Jumanji. Love, 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 love. So that's why I was like, oh my God, same girl. Blah, blah, blah. All right, good. Yes. And then on top of all these other amazing people, and she's playing the lead, and we also, we already know she can be physical because we've seen Jumanji. Well, hell, we know she's physical because she's Nebula too, right? Okay. So she can do all the, all the action things. She can make it look believable. We've seen her do this before. Okay. And I also thought it was like super interesting that both Karen and Angela Bassett both have roles in the MCU. Karen, obviously, I keep saying, Nebula. And then Angela as um, uh, as uh, Chadwick Boseman's mom in Black Panther. However, um, so yeah, I thought that was cool. Okay, we're getting them back together, um, etc. But not only that... Um, Lena Headey, as you know, she played one of the most hated women on, in television history as Queen Cersei in Game of Thrones. Carla Gugino, legend. Marcelle Yeoh, bigger legend. Stacked cast. Expected greatness. Okay. Back to Karen. Karen. And she's the star. Uh, anyway, as I didn't know who, like, who played her, um, and I, I, like I said, I only recognized her from Jumanji. Um, I was annoyed that while I was watching this movie, Karen did some voice acting for this character. The character's name was Samantha. And I just felt like she did not need to do any voice acting for Samantha. And the voice that she used was the same one that she did for Nebula. And I was like, every time she spoke, all I saw was Nebula. I couldn't really, Sam couldn't come out to me because I was just like, all I could hear was Nebula. And I don't know if that was because I just found out. So I was making all of these associations, but it was very hard for me to get past that. And I just didn't feel like Sam needed voice acting. I just, I just didn't think. And I just felt like it was very, very, very distracting. Another thing, this is going to be a whole negative re review. I don't know how much positive stuff I've got for this film. All right. Also, I don't like camp in action films. Um, there's obviously some level throughout most action, but not at the level that it was in this movie. Like, it didn't border on the ridiculous. It dove head first off of a cliff into ridiculous. Like, there's a scene in a hospital, and it's supposed to be thrilling, and it's just foolishness. It's utter and complete foolishness. So much so, I was annoyed watching it. I'm pretty sure my face was screwed up the whole entire time. And by the end of that scene, I was like, hey, what did I just watch? Like, why? Why? <laughs> Why? Furthermore, when confronted with one of the bad guys, like Letterly head bad guy, his excuse for trying to kill her was she killed his only son. Totally reasonable. But then here comes the misogyny. He doesn't, 
his his further exp- explanation, like he expounds on it by saying that he doesn't understand his four daughters, four daughters, one son, or five daughters, one son, however it works, whatever. Um, he doesn't understand his daughters. Therefore, he is extra devastated about losing the one son he had. Well, excuse me, sir. You should have had your daughters running the business and kept your son off doing other things. Then he wouldn't have ended up dead, right? You wanted to protect your one son. You should have kept them safe then. You did. You failed. You want to turn around and blame me. And I'm just a hired gun. Get out of here. Like I just, I was like, oh my God, why? Like, why? Why was that the reasoning? Why, why couldn't it just have been you killed my kid and that's enough for every other film where a child dies at the hands of an assassin or hot, like whatever. It's always, no, I must avenge my child. It doesn't need to be about the fact that he was your only boy. Annoying me. Also. Why must we always be reminded that women bear children? Even in these crazy, my mom is an assassin type of movies. Like why? Sam could have been motivated to kill people for any number of reasons, but protecting a child was low hanging fruit and the writers should have let it fall to the ground and rot. Okay. It didn't need to be because she was protecting the interests of a child and a girl at that. It could have been a boy, but no, it had to be a girl who also did not have a mother, whose father died. It could have been her mom, right? Who worked for the mob. Uh, That would have been more satisfying, a little bit different. But no, everything is just like, oh my God, just kind of trying to remind us, like, you know? I just find that annoying. Like, just if she's going to be hard, let her be hard. If she's going to be wicked, let her be wicked. If she's going to be a killer, let her be a real killer. Like, it just doesn't need to be, we don't need this inherent, I don't know, softness is what I'm trying to say. Like, but it's not that I feel like women are utterly and completely, totally soft. It's just, I feel like that you're, that's what Hollywood is trying to say. Well, you could be a killer, but you know, you're also going to have to be like, you know, smooth like no i don't want to be no not from this type of film that's not what i want Mm -mm. i want i want to i want a john wick you know he has he's he has a code the man is loyal but he has no qualms in killing you you don't care about you he'll shoot your face off that's what i want to see that's what i want to see another thing that i took issue with angela bassett's character anime why was she so mad why? Could someone tell me why she was mad? She was mad from the gate and up till now, I still have no idea why she was so pissed off. Why? If I never see another angry black woman for no reason on screen ever again, it will be too soon. I actually need black female actors to stop taking these roles, start turning to people. I know you guys got to eat. I know you got to get paid, but it's been done. Aren't you tired? We're tired of seeing it. You must be tired of doing it. You must be tired of giving the lines. You must. And for someone like Angela Bassett, who is like, legend, living legend. The woman is lauded. She's brilliant. Why, why did she need? I don't know. Whatever. Annoying. Didn't I like just never. I just never want to see that on film ever, ever Again, like never. Okay. And okay. So last couple of reasons I didn't like it. The ending. So Paul Giamatti kind of plays like the intermediary. He's the guy, he's like the handler, right? And he's really the reason why she's in the situation that he's she's in. And he's fully like backed out, like left her out 
threw her under the bus, so to speak, right? And with regard to this killing of this, this, this other gangster's kid, wash his hands of the situation. And I feel like what they could have done was kill him. They actually should have killed him. And what they, what would have made it really interesting is if Emily killed him. Emily is the child in the film. Um, and if it was a man in this exact same type of film, he would have killed him. But no, what does she do? She issues a strongly, strong warning, strong warning. What? What? It's like, it's either she's ruthless or she's not. Why did he deserve to live? I don't, I don't know why he would have deserved to live. Why, why did he deserve? I, I, I just, there was no reason behind that. Like her not killing the kid as part of her contract or the father or whatever, as part of her contract, I could understand that. But letting Paul live, Paul Giamatti's character live? No, utter and total foolishness. I was like, just why? Anyway, all right. So, you know, talking about this movie just really annoyed me all over again. Anyway, so Gunpowder Milkshake is now on Netflix. It's global. This is a watch if you want to, but don't. But if you do, don't say that I didn't warn you. Okay. So. We're moving into a triple header, a marathon, if you will, that features the Fear Street, the Fear Street Trilogy. Street Trilogy is very difficult for me to say back to back. I don't know why I cannot string those two words into a sentence without stumbling over my tongue, but Fear Street Trilogy, that's the, I guess, trio of films or what's up now and at least the first ones I'm going to discuss so the Fear Street trilogy stars Kiana Madeira from Trinkets who is a fellow Canuck and actually from the GTA she's from which is the greater Toronto area which is where I'm from and uh, she grew up in a suburb of Toronto called Mississauga shout out Kiana uh, then also Benjamin Flores Jr. from, you might recognize from a show called Your Honor, and Olivia Scott Welch, who was also in Panic. She played Heather. Um, so did you grow up with R.L. Stein books like I did? Do you love slasher films from the 90s? If you answered yes to either or both of those questions, then you're in for quite the treat because Netflix decided to do feature film adaptations of the famed young adult horror writer R.L. Stein's Fear Street books. They did that. They put their foot in it. A little bit. A little bit. A little footage. A little foot action. And I just knocked my mic. So you guys might have heard that. And I'm going to pause right now to adjust. I'm back. Okay. <laughs> it was the fastest adjustment in history. Um, so the kicker is the films are based in 90, 1994, 1978, and 1666. But the main story is told in 1994. So overall, I kind of feel like these films are not aiming to do more than they should be anticipated to do, which is what you ask. Make sure you have a good time. Like, have 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 fun. Jump a little, you know, be fraught with anxiety. Have your quarters all rise. All that good stuff. That's really all they are trying to do. Um, if you choose to watch, I just want you to note that there is nothing groundbreaking about these movies. Like, nada, zip, zero, zilch, nothing. Um, 
And for me, the best one is actually the second one. The final one, the one that's based in 1666 for me is the weakest of the three. Um, but what I do find like way more interesting than the fact that the films um, are an homage to 90s horror. And we see that like represented in sequences throughout the series, which is like absolutely de delightful. Like I'm going to sidebar here. It's so much fun. Like there is a scene um, that is like clearly an homage to The Shining. Tell me if you spot it. Um, there is a scene that is a clear homage to the Scream movies, um, which like just was like, oh, like it just felt like familiar and warm and warm. I I'm using the word warm to describe horror. Hmm. Maybe they didn't do their jobs. But anyway, um, but it was fun. It was nice to see that. Um, but anyway, so what is it about? Essentially, it's about a curse in a small town called Shadyside. Now, here's what I'm going to say to people, all of my listeners. Don't move to towns with questionable names. Like Shadyside? It's, I feel like it's a dead giveaway. Get it? <laughs> dead give. <laughs> you got it. You got it. You got it. You got it. If you didn't get it, you don't belong here. Okay, anyway. Um, so there's a curse on this town of Shadyside. And it's by a witch who was like executed many, many years ago by the name of Sarah Fear. And every 20 years or so, uh, a Shadysider is like possessed by her. And that person goes on like a killing spree. Well, it turns out that Sarah Fear got a bad rap and she's not really guilty of much. Um, aside from trying to save the people of her time. Right, right, right. Okay. But you know... It, like the story kind of plays on the whole idea that women were persecuted back in the day if they, you know, were different, stood out, rebuffed a man, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, and that's basically the case with Sarah Fear with a queer twist. And I actually literally mean a queer twist. Um, so Kiana Madeira, our Canadian cutie, she plays Dina um, and she kind of finds herself in a very precarious situation. Uh, the witch wants her dead or so she believes. And she and her friends are, are basically trying to save themselves, each other, and in, and inevitably, in the end, the town. So the first film in 1994 sets the, trilogy, sets the trilogy up nicely, but kind of gave too much in some parts of the story and not enough in, in others. While 1978 had both the terror and the emotionally grounded moments that we needed. That's why 1978 was better for me because I feel like you do always need to have this want for the characters to kind of survive. Like if you don't care about them, if you don't understand what they're, what motivates them, um, then I don't care. I mean, granted, like, I, I mean, you'd have to be sociopathic to just want people out here killing people, but for no good reason and not want them to try to live, fight for themselves. But at the same time, it's kind of like, Give me a reason to want these people to live. Like, you know, um, it does a, a, a better job. Yeah, like I was saying, it, it just it does a better job of making us care about the characters. While the third movie is kind of full of anachronistic elements and things that you would likely have never seen happen in 1666. And that's actually what made it so annoying for me. Um, and it made it very hard to watch. Um, so something I had talked about just now and my the previous segment is misogyny and obviously this particular film in 1666 is chock full of misogyny um 
which I guess makes sense for the time period that they were in, where, like I said, women could be accused of anything by a man and he would believe, be believed, even if it was the village idiot, village drunk, village trash bag, I don't know, whatever. Um, <laughs> his word would be taken over a high standing or relatively well-known um, citizen of the area. So, you know, that's frustrating. It's As a woman, it's frustrating to watch because it's literally like how, like how did we, how did, how did we make it to, how did we make it to here without women just uprising and murking all men? Like I just, it just seems like <laughs> they just went through so much. Oh, lack of medicine, proper hygiene, like, oh God, it was just like a travesty. Anyway, like, we made it. We're here. It's 2021. Nonetheless, I mean, still fighting the patriarchy, though. Jeez, Lord. Um, anyway, all in all, they were all enjoyable. Kind of fun ways to pass the time. Uh, warnings here for sexual behavior, language, blood, gore. Those are to be expected. Not suitable for children. I would say high teens. You know, the 14s, 15s and up. Um... And like, yeah, I said, lang I said language. Yeah. I also felt like there maybe were like improper uses of language. Like I'm like, do we, do we need all of that? I don't know. Whatever. Maybe that's just me. Whatever. Um, one thing I did like is that Netflix chose to release the movies one week at a time. So once you started, uh, if you waited, you could binge watch them all, or you could watch them like, um, every, every single Friday night as they came out on a Friday. Um, so kind of like it really kind of gave the audience something to look forward to. Uh, if you're into this genre, I would definitely say watch. If you're not, um, skip it. The Fear Street Trilogy, <laughs> I did it, uh, is streaming on Netflix globally. Okay, so sticking with the theme of horror, thriller, in this particular case, creature feature, I'm going to talk to you guys now about A Quiet Place, Do. Do, 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 two, <laughs> dos. <laughs> That's the next movie for What's Up Now. Um, as you know, A Quiet Place stars Emily Blunt, John Krasinski, and uh, in this new movie, Killian Murphy. We do see John again. So this movie gave everything it needed to give for a sequel, like more great acting, more amazing direction, and more amazing, wonderful sound editing. Um, I'm not sure that anything will top the first film for the sound editing because it was just so like, wow. Um, it won awards for it and those were very well deserved. So don't know if anything's going to top the, top the first one. Um, but the second one doesn't also does a very, very good job. Um, if you haven't seen the first film, let me kind of bring you up to speed. In the first film, we are introduced to the family of Evelyn Abbott, played by Emily Blunt, and Lee Abbott, played by John Krasinski, and their three children. So early on, we understand that there is something very different about the world that this family happens to be living in. There are no people, and there's an emphasis, an overly overemphasis on silence. It is actually several minutes into the film before we get any sound at all from the cast. 
which means that all the work has to be done in gestures and in facial expressions, which they do wonderfully. Like it really talks, it really kind of is a callback to, it kind of like takes us back to the days when feature films were actually silent and we just had to focus and read subtitles to understand what was happening um, on the screen from, or not to understand what was happening, but to understand the actor's perspective, like what they were reacting to. Uh, so like within the first 10 minutes, we have our first tragedy and Honestly, like seriously, it's the reason I hate watching films uh, that feature disasters where the element of danger is not other humans, but aliens or some other such animal because, and also have children. And it's because children don't listen. Like they, they don't listen. In none of these movies, they don't listen. And they put literally everyone's life, including their own, at risk, which you guessed it, drives me nuts. Um... But can I say is also the reason why I loved Bird Box. Okay, tangent, another tangent, me and the tangents. Um, I'm going to tangent. <laughs> Bird Box, which is also um, a, Net a Netflix original, shows Sandra Bullock's character giving her two five-year-olds the 100% truth about the situation that they are in and the consequences for disobeying her. She keeps it too real with them. And this is done so that they literally will survive. And they do. Like the opposite is true for this first death within A Quiet Place 1. Because not one, but two kids don't listen. And ultimately it causes the death of one of the kids. And creates a tension within the family. Or at least a perceived tension within the family. Um... And I would, yeah, I would definitely say it's a perception. If you watch the film, you understand. Um, but it, I don't know if I wouldn't actually say, I wouldn't go so far as to say it's actual. I would say it's perceived. Anyway, flash forward to a pregnant Emily Blunt. Now, I promise you, I promise you, I promise you on everything I love. Found in a situation like this, I would have literally located every single condom ever made, but we are not risking a pregnancy in a world overrun by monsters. Because what, 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 especially overrun by monsters, um, and they kill by hunting through sound. Y'all ever try to quiet a baby who does not want to be quieted? <laughs> okay, <laughs> the answer is no. Right? No, not negative. Like literally not happening. We would not be not no no uh, 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 no. My mind can't even conceive of the concept. Anyway, so we catch up and this family is going about their day-to-day day -day survival tactics while also preparing for the birth of the baby. So basically the goal of the first film is stay alive, make no noise. Right. Stay alive, make no noise. Prepare for this baby, deliver the baby that's coming exceptionally soon and ensure that it makes no noise. Not everyone survives. And in a very sad, sacrificial moment, John's character is killed. So he ends up dying. But as a result, they discover a way to kill the monsters. And that is basically everything. Like that's fundamentally because they had been living for over a year in this way, like trying to survive these monsters. Um, 
again at this point we don't even know what they are where they're what, like what, like what the situation what like what led to this we don't know any of that we just have found them in the middle of this you know post-apocalyptic situation and they're trying to they're trying to survive but they do figure out how to how to kill the monsters and that basically is everything so that is basically where the first movie ends and also where the second movie picks up okay so on the day that the remaining family uh kill all the monsters in the area like emily blunt's character goes off right um they draw them to them and then they kill all of them at the same time on the same day a fire starts in their barn and because their home is made up of multiple buildings the barn being one of them has storage spaces you know uh, like um also has a um like a like a secure room that's like soundproofed um which is where she went like where john brought her john's character brought her after she had the baby so she does have the baby in the first movie as well so let me mention that so this fire starts in the barn for whatever reason they decide that they're going to abandon the barn and i kind of felt like it was salvageable like where am i going the area is now devoid of void of all monsters like why would i leave my very secure safe home like good up good up like no why why would anyway they do okay um and then what the what the film does is it starts to give us the backstory from day one, right? And starts it that way because at the beginning of the first film, it says like day 300 and something or whatever. And then they start the movie, start the second movie, and then five, 10 minutes in, they go back to day one, which was great. Loved that. Was very in keeping with the, the theme of the first film. So... um and also we get to see john alive again right so day one john is alive obviously um and we learn that what the monsters are are actually aliens uh we just don't know from where um and then we understand very quickly that they are blind but their hearing is literally so exceptional that they might as well be able to see like they can kill with precision there's also one more thing i'm grateful about uh they don't eat humans they just kill so but it begs the question, like, what do they eat? Because it's not us. And um, what are they doing here? What, 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 you guys miss your boat? What what, what happened? Your, your, the ship? What happened? And why couldn't you land here and just not touch nothing? Why couldn't you hand, land here and be like, can we speak to your leaders, please? You know, because we, we just need some parts and we'll be on our way. Why couldn't it be like, because then, Nicole, that wouldn't be a movie. I always take these things personally. It's just like, why come here and wreck shop? Like, come on, give us a chance. Jeez. Anyway, all right. So <laughs> I entertain myself. I do. Facts. Um, so the ante is upped in the second film because of the new baby whose bassinet is a soundproof box that they carry and has its own oxygen supply. So basically this baby is in a, bo a padded box and has a, a, a oxygen mask on its face and it has its own oxygen tank attached to the bassinet. And that is how they transport this child because obviously the baby cannot be allowed to cry, which it, oftentimes you open the box and this kid is 
hollering at the top of his lungs, but you can't hear him. Um, and you know, this is not a sustainable situation. Like this child needs a place where it can cry and laugh and grow without fear. Like, and fundamentally that's the mission of this film. So before it was like survive. Now it's like, we need to thrive. We need a place, a place where we can actually live. All right. So Reagan, who is the black sheep of the family. And, and that's because of her direct involvement in the death of her brother, um, in her mind anyway. And thankfully, like Lee, who is John's character, made her understand that like he was not upset with her. He's always loved her, whatever, whatever. Um, after that, but like I said, that's why I said the the rift or the tension in the family is perceived. She perceives it to be that way. Also, key key thing to point out here, Reagan is deaf. Did I not mention that? I don't know if I mentioned that, but Reagan is deaf. So um, she's, her situation is extra crazy because she doesn't even know how much sound she's making from what she's not making. And as it so happens, the thing that allows them to kill the, kill the aliens is her hearing aid. So, which is like, like, I like that they did that. I like that they wrote that into the story because they have to, her as the, like this perceived black sheep. It's a persona that she kind of has taken on, um, this rebelliousness due to this like dissatisfaction or deep disappointment that she feels that she has, uh, received from her father because of the death of her brother. Um, but she's also the one to fundamentally have the thing that will save them. But um, you would think that she's learned anything from the first movie? Nope, she does not. She takes off on a quest to find um, a radio signal that, so that she can broadcast the sound and therefore weaken the aliens and allow people to kill them. So she takes off on her own. Um, at this time that she does this, the family has just run into an old friend in the uh, a new character introduction by the name of Emmett, who is played by Killian Murphy. So um, then Emily Blunt begs him to go after her and uh, bring her back. They fundamentally end up finding um, a safe haven. And, and that's due to the fact that these aliens cannot swim. Um, the safe haven, obviously, because it's the third act, not so safe after an alien finds its way onto the island, it's an island, um, and uh, wrecks shop. But, but they have a place to broadcast the signal and in broadcasting the signal, um, fundamentally saves a bunch of lives at the same time. So when Reagan decides to like take off on her own, um, it splits the story into three active moving parts. And um, makes it that much more tense, that much more like, oh my God, what are these people doing? Like, why is this? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Like that. <laughs> why is this happening? Um, but uh, makes a, definitely makes it a fuller, a fuller story for sure. Um, and it changes the scenes, uh, the the sets changes for each of the, for for the movie because now each characters, each of the characters are in groups. The characters are now in three different groups groups right so yeah but um 
I just had to say um, that I'm like a super, a super huge fan of creature features. And this film literally does not disappoint. And I find that most creature features do are about aliens or some sort of alien creature. And um, it's, I mean, if you haven't watched A Quiet Place, you're into tension, thrillers, um, horror, alien creature features, you have to watch it. Like, because it's not just that, like, it's a creature feature and it's interesting or it's really good. Like, it's just that it's a really good movie. Like they're, they're literally really good movies. Um, people always talk about aliens being like, and that trilogy, um, or series of films, no longer a trilogy, but like aliens, which is the second film is one of the best. If I don't know if there is a creature feature better than aliens, I don't know, but, um, yeah, and I'm now stuck thinking about it. Let me stay focused. Um, but it's all on that level. Th- these movies are on that level for 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 sure. Um, yeah. So anyway, a quiet place too. Uh, definitely there will be a part three. So I will say that as well. So so good, so good. Uh, it's now currently streaming on Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime. And that's, it should be global, should be global. But uh, in North America, you'll find it on Amazon Prime. It's a quiet place too. All right. So the final two movies, which are my what's up next movies. um, One, female, another female lead. And the other is another Emily Blunt movie. So I had already mentioned, right? So Jolt, I'm going to talk about Jolt first. And then I'm going to talk about The Jungle Cruise. So Jolt, first movie for What's Up Next, stars Kate Beckinsale, Stanley Tucci, Jay Courtney, Bobby Cannavale, and Laverne Cox. It's another sci-fi action film with a leading lady at its helm. Um, Kate Beckinsale is Lindy, and she's a woman who at a very young age is diagnosed with with anger and impulse control issues. Uh, which is caused by like an excess of cortisol in her system. It makes her faster and stronger and in a constant state of emotion, which kind of makes it difficult for her to not want to hurt people all the time. People are constantly annoying her. The least little thing annoys her, but her annoyance becomes quickly can become rage and that rage bursts out of her and she tries to kill people (laughs) all the time. So the... Yeah, that's basically her issue. Um, so naturally, she kind of like re- she requires therapy, and her therapy is her therapist is played by Stanley Tucci. Um, so Stanley Tucci has also invented like over years and years of like all these different trying to help her deal with this situation. Stanley Tucci finally invents this like harness, and it uses electric shock therapy to help her control her temper. Um, but what I find interesting is. Uh, and I'm not sure if the writers were aware, or maybe they were, and they, this is a twist on that. But back in the day, this is actually exactly what they would do to a woman who they deemed as hysterical. Um, and it could often lead to lobotomy. So it was like basically shock therapy treatment. And we, I'm sure we've all heard of that. Um, but that's essentially what this is. She's doing it willingly. <laughs> um, but anyway, so nothing new after, under the sun after all. So in this modern tale of electroshock, ther- electroshock therapy uh, to, to treat an emotional disorder. So Lindy finally, finally, uh, oh, starts dating, right? So he, her therapist persuades her that she should start dating. And so she goes on this date 
she ends up meeting um jay courtney his character's name is justin and she kind of falls for him like right off the bat like they really do hit it off um and then just like that he he gets murked and she basically spends the rest of the film trying to figure out like who killed him and um you know and this is kind of the point where i like i get annoyed i'm start i start getting annoyed so <clears throat> let me say this i had no expectations of this film i actually thought it wasn't going to be that great um even though it was the cast is great i was like again one of those movies that i was like sucked in because i wanted to, because of the cast right um, but then I was like, ah, just from the premise, I was like, I don't know if this is going to go, I don't know if, how good this is actually going to be. But then for the first half, going into the second act, I was like, oh my gosh, this is so much fun. I'm actually like actually really enjoying it. And then this is where it kind of like went away. Um, she now is completely and thoroughly motivated by her quest to find out who killed him. And it, they're just, like, the tone is like, oh, you're doing it for a guy. You're doing it for a guy and you don't even really know him. Like, you know, like, why, like it just made her seem digmatized. And I was like, could it not have been, like, I need to, I have, like, I just need to know, like, what happened? Like, they just kept making it seem like she was just, like, digmatized. I don't know. Um... But in the end, what we do have is a villain who I knew was the villain because, the, because of something that they didn't do. And because of this thing that they didn't knew, do, it made it very, very obvious to me. Well, at least to me, it made it obvious, but it might not be obvious to others, but it was obvious to me um, who was actually behind everything. So the real villain kind of emerges. And what does he do? You guessed it. You guessed it misogynistic rant <laughs> um kind of like belittling her making her feel like all she needed to do um was like you know get laid which is just like you know was she celibate before you i i just don't know like why did it make it like did did it need to be about your magic stick is it actually magic i don't know uh, she did kill a bunch of people trying to get to you to figure figure out what you know the situation was but i don't know and really and truthfully based on the way they told the story it wasn't like he was lying you know hashtag annoying anyway um so naturally of course he had to die anyway <laughs> but like seriously i mean he had to um overall i had fun watching definitely more than i expected um and I would say watch. It's cool for what it is. And the misogyny is not overly dialed. So it's not it's not in our face the whole entire time. Um, but yeah, so that's basically what I would say. Film is called Jolt. And it is streaming on Amazon Prime. All right. And for the final film, for the final film, uh, we're talking The Jungle Cruise. And this is the final film for What's Up Next, last segment um so if you didn't know the jungle cruise is disney's latest big budget feature and obviously it's based on the ride um and it stars emily blunt dwayne johnson jack whitehall edgar ramirez 
Paul Giamatti and Jesse Plemons. So it was just, it was released fairly, fairly recently, um, both in theaters and streaming. And it is so much fun. Like it is a lot of fun. Um, it was very, very, very reminiscent of The Mummy um, because there's like a brother-sister duo and that is played by Emily Blunt as Lily and Jack Whitehall as McGregor Houghton. And they're basically going off on this adventure and it's led by the sister, right? So it's led by Lily, Emily Blunt's character. And then you have to add in the an exotic location, a troubled wayfinder who is Frank and that is played by, and he is played by Dwayne Johnson. And it's basically the same movie. Um... But ask me if I can. <laughs> I sure don't. Um, this movie genuinely made me laugh out loud. Um, and definitely offered up one surprise that I did not see coming. And I really love that. Um, and as for... But the movie kind of like... The title of the movie gives away the premise entirely. But essentially Lily and McGregor arrive in Brazil. So that they can traverse the Amazon River in search of a tree called the Tears of the Moon. Um, and apparently the petals of this tree are set to cure all, break any curse, et cetera, et cetera. So like over like several hundred years ago, um, you know, people have gone in search of this tree over and over. They never come close to finding it until like this very brave conquistador sets out because he's trying to save his daughter. daughter. He nearly makes it, but because he's greedy and he betrays some people, he ends up cursed. Now back to Lily. She meets Frank because she needs a river captain who will get her um get her to the tree who knows how to traverse the river right but Frank is basically a swindler and he's in need of money and she has the money and so he kind of works his way so that she um he ends up being the one to take her uh and you know his trustworthiness is kind of like Meh. Um, until you can, like, it's like, can I, can I, can I, oh, I can kind of trust him, you know? Um, and that really kind of results because of like something that he does that's like super self-sacrificing, right? There are natives, there's snakes, there's bees, and there's like a very, very smart jaguar. Not the car. <laughs> all in all, um, all in the backdrop and it's in the backdrop of a world war, Right. So this world war is raging, like actually like World War II, I think it was supposed to be. Um, and between, so obviously Germany, its allies, and then the allied countries. Um, so naturally, because this is happening in that time frame, there's a German captain. He's played by Jesse Plemons, and he basically wants the tree for himself, obviously. Um, it has, this movie definitely has all the danger. It has all the mystery, it has all the magic of an action adventure film. Uh, it's very, like I said, it's very mummy meets, um, any Indiana Jones movie. Like that's that kind of, and throw in like Amazon, uh, Anaconda. Like if Anaconda, the mummy and Indiana Jones, and I would also say Pirates of the Caribbean, also based on a ride. Um, all had a baby, this is what you would get, the Jungle Cruise. Um, it feels familiar, but while also being very fresh, and I'm pretty sure there'll be a sequel because, you know, for once in this particular instance, the treasure that they're after does not get destroyed in the process. So luckily, um, for us, it is still there 
And uh, so, yeah, that's the Jungle Cruise. It is streaming with premiere access on Disney Plus. But once you pay for it, that's it. You've got it. You can watch it as many times as you want. Um, and I really, really enjoyed this film. It is def a definite watch. Fun for the entire family. Okay, so you know what that means. We are entering into the What's Happening in Hollywood segment. And it's an all-movies segment. And so we're going to go over what is dropped, what's premiering in August, um, what are some, what's some of the tea coming out of Hollywood, and um, what we can kind of anticipate, including um, some casting announcements for upcoming productions and such. So there's a lot happening. So let's start off with, so remember how I mentioned how the fact that um, I was talking about Black Widow and saying how Black Widow, um, it taking so long for that movie to get to us eventually caused some issues. And then the fact that uh, um, COVID-19, the pandemic, caused Disney to make a different decision with with its distribution, which was uh, releasing it both theatrically after a much long delay, releasing it theatrically and also simultaneously re re releasing it on their streaming platform with Premiere Access. Well, that caused some problems. So what ended up happening was Scarlett Johansson, who also has a back-end deal, um, which is something that a lot of leading talent do they they take deals on the back end not just their not just um the pay for the portrayal um as talent um decided that she was going to sue disney over the fact that they decided to release black widow to um disney plus as well um saying that it was a breach of contract um that Disney breached their contract by cutting into her potential box office sales by releasing it to Premier Access. My thing is this. I understand where she's coming from with that, like, but this was an unprecedented scenario. Um, what she could have, I don't know. I don't know what the, if there's a what she could have done type of thing going on here because at the end of the day, it not going strictly to theatrical release at the time, if they had done that, it might have cut into her back end anyway. Like she probably could, there was a chance that she was not going to make as much money regardless, whether or not they added the the, the component of it going to Premiere Access simultaneously as going theatrical. Um, what she should have did was renegotiated her contract as soon as the pandemic hit. Her movie was done and in the bag. So if there was an opportunity for her to renegotiate so that she could also get a, a piece of the uh, premier access money, then that might have been more prudent than coming after them for for actually releasing to premier access. Because in the end, nobody saw the pandemic coming. Uh, nobody saw, you know, thought about how far-reaching the effects were going to be on distribution. Uh, and yeah, so it's kind of it's a tricky one. But I see what she's trying to do, and it will change the game for people with back-end deals going forward. So it's going to be really interesting to see what the outcome of this particular lawsuit is and how it fundamentally goes on to affect future deals. Okay, so that's what happened uh, with Black Widow. 
So some there's a bunch of trailers I want to talk about and you guys need to just go out and watch. Like run, run, don't walk, jump to YouTube. I don't know if you've seen them. I don't know if you've heard of these movies. In some cases, I'm sure you have as long as you're not living under a rock. Um, but you really need to run and go see for yourself. So the first one is a trailer for King Richard, which is the biopic starring, is a biopic and it's starring Will Smith as Richard Williams, who is the father of Serena and Venus Williams. It dropped and it literally looks amazing. Like Will's portrayal, he, I love the fact that he goes ball, he just swings for the fences every single time he takes on a biopic. Anytime he takes on anything, like he's just got that kind of work ethic, but he really transforms and tries to understand the character, uh, the person that he's playing, especially if the person is living. And I really think he was the right one for this role. I mean, it was, it was, the trailer itself was so well cut. It was emotional and I'm super, super ready uh, to see it. And I really can't wait for that one. I'm really looking forward to that. Um, next up, um, not a trailer, but just something I, I need y'all to know because I, folks, we are excited about this. So Michaela Cole, I don't know if you know who that is, but she is a amazing writer and actor um, and producer. And she created um, shows like I Will Destroy You um, and Chewing Gum. She has signed on to join the cast of Black Panther 2. So it's going to be amazing to see what she does with that role. Um, she's huge in the UK. Um, I Will Destroy You was um, a phenomenal show that came out on HBO. She really uh, fights for herself. She advocates for her art and she just deliver, she deliver, delivers uh, cerebral, um, very dramatic um, with slight twists of awkwardness. She's almost, she, she gives me a little bit of UK Issa Rae vibes. Um, also someone I'm a huge fan of and, uh, yeah, she's, she's joining the cast of Pan Black Panther too. So that's going to be awesome. Um, James Gunn's Suicide Squad has premiered. It is out folks. It is currently in theaters and as well on HBO Max and it is out to rave reviews. Uh, it is getting the kind of support that the original Suicide Squad that came out in 2016 did not get because that movie was not good. Um, it, it had a lot of problems that first movie did. Um, and I really, but I will say I did like Will Smith's portrayal, like of Deadshot in that film. There was things that Will did that were unique, uh, that were unique to the character, but, um, I almost feel like just, he just added his own little twist to it. That just made that elevated that, that character. Um, but that movie overall was just not, not, not it. Um, but James Gunn's apparently is it, and I'm excited to see that one too. More trailers. The trailer for uh, the sequel to Tom Hardy's Venom, Venom There Will Be Carnage, dropped. It is out. It came out on Monday, August 2nd. I'm telling you, run, don't walk to YouTube to watch for yourself. I mean, I mean, run, don't walk. Maybe not the right use of words, but you understand what I mean. <laughs> um, so movies coming out this month. Suicide Squad, like I said, already out. Candyman, I'm excited for that. Candyman was like one of those movies when I was younger that I was literally like, oh, urban legend-ish. And I remember, 2.2, gotta give you this story. Um, I remember watching that film as part of like a sleepover with my friends. And we all knocked out. We watched it the night before. And if you know anything about the character Candyman or the actor who portrayed him, he was a very tall man and he had a bald head right? And so the next morning, it's morning, day has dawned, and we are all laid up 
in the living room because she used to have this like massive projector TV and that's where we would watch all our movies and we'd always like sleep on the floor in the living room in front of the TV and but our backs were to the um the the backyard and the backyard you kind of like walk into the backyard from like from the not the street per se but like the parking lot right uh you'd have to come around her complex and then like if you'd have to know where you're going so there's a gate and you have to walk through the fence through the gate in the fence whatever so we're all lying there right and that morning we wake up or so, i don't know someone was up and they see this shadow of this like just a tall man bald head and he is walking towards us hey listen you want to see girls get their life together Woo! who wasn't screaming was scrambling over who wasn't jumping was diving who wasn't diving was running for their life it was chaos pandemonium before someone realized oh wait it was just her dad listen after we figured out what was happening we we laughed until our bellies were hurt like until tears came it, that is actually one of my favorite absolute favorite memories but so I'm excited to see Candyman because anytime I hear that the name Candyman I think of that um so next film Free Guy starring um everyone's favorite Ryan Reynolds is out this month respect the long overdue uh, Aretha Franklin biopic starring starring Jennifer Hudson is out Annette is out Coda, Reminisce, Don't Breathe 2, Vacationing with Friends, and Nighthouse. More news, more news, more news. So the first photos and trailer, another trailer, um, has dropped for the House of Gucci. So we know that the House of Gucci stars Lady Gaga, Stanley Tucci, but that is not what you guys need to go see. Y'all need to go see Jared Leto's transformation it is not the first time he's transformed for a role every time i think of Jerry little i always think of my uh oh, oh my god no 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 the first time like i actually became aware of him as an actor was in my simple life with claire danes oh my god what is that name of that show one second my so-called life is the name of the show um and I didn't even have to go look anywhere. It just came back to me. Ee, 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 ee. Um, I always think of him in that show and how much I loved him. I loved him so much. Oh my God. So to see him like grow and change and become this like wet, like lauded actor is like, it's satisfying, you know, because you've been following a career for so long and actually see them come into the fullness of themselves in their, with their talent is, uh, is cool. Um, you guys need to see him. He's, it's crazy, the transformation. Um, some production news, Ant-Man 3 is currently in production. And then finally, to wrap up this segment, uh, Jordan Peele has released his poster for his latest outing, which is called Nope. Um, it will hit theaters next year, July 22nd of 2022. Um, and it stars Daniel Kaluuya, Kiki Palmer, and Steven Yeun who you'll know from Walking Dead, he voiced um, Invincible, etc. should be terrifying. Um, and Steven is also just, um, he's kind of, his star is really rising. He just, I believe, was uh, nominated for an Oscar, I believe. Um, what is the name of the movie he was in that, hold on. How come I can't remember anything right now? Hold on one second. You know, I knew it was Minari. I just don't want to say the wrong thing. And why do I keep saying, hold on a second, like I'm talking to somebody on the phone? 
See, this is what I'm saying. <laughs> this podcast really is me just talking to my friends. It really, really is. Um, but yeah, congratulations to Stephen Yin and his rising star. He did great work um, on The Walking Dead. And that's where, you know, I first became aware of him. And I will say that the day that he died on that show was like tragic. It was death. It was horrible, apparently. And that Sunday, uh, I think, was also the same Sunday that... Uh, uh, that um, Oh my gosh, um, that we lost John in Game of Thrones. It was it was a very bad weekend. <laughs> in any case, uh, for Nope, um, I, I'm not sure I'm going to see that one. I don't know. Jordan Peele, he's, he, he does some terrifying stuff. I still haven't seen Us, and it took me forever to watch Get Out, which I don't regret. Get Out was really good, but I still haven't seen Us. And I, every time I see the poster for it or it pops up on the new streaming service, I'm like, should I watch it? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'll watch it. Anyway, that's it for what's happening in Hollywood. <laughs> All right. So anytime you hear laughing, you already know what that is. Next segment. And we're almost done, guys. Twitter me laughing so okay by now you guys figured out that this segment is going to feature tweets about zola because obviously that movie came from a twitter thread that went viral um and so here are some of maybe not like super funny tweets but like just you know some interesting thoughts um about the movie so TT just says, uh, the director knew how to taunt the audience with this suspense too good. Um, then went on to say this accent that they had the pimp put on was upsetting. I know I felt the same way, honey. DK astrology said the racism portrayed as part of the environment throughout the whole movie realer than real watching this. And so far it's hilarious and crazy. I agree on all accounts. Follow Shells tweeted, Shells, follow Shells tweeted, why would she even go out of town with people she don't even know? That's the question we all have been asking. I know I have asked it of myself many a time with regard to this film and this story. Selavi <laughs> tweeted, hashtag Zola, know how much that thing is worth, you hear me? I'm not a, I'm not a prostitute, but $150, cringe face, <laughs> crime face. Yeah, so like I said, the the community is so split on this one. But overall, I actually think now that I've I've seen more tweets, a lot of people have overall they they liked and enjoyed the film, but, but still a sense of like scary, dramatic thriller mixed with fun, somewhat funny, a little exciting, but dark overall, dark. But what everyone agrees with is that it's cinematic beauty. So I will just finish with that. In that, we have come to the end of the episode. Guys, thank you so much for listening. Uh, this was another long one. I don't know how to do that. I, I'm, I'm going to try to make them shorter. I don't even know if that's what you guys want, but I feel like I'd be talking forever. And so I'm just like, are you guys still listening? Do you guys even want this to be this long? But I'm going to try to make them a little bit shorter. I personally ideally want it to be around 45 minutes and it never works out that way because I got, girls got a lot to say. It's one thing when I'm telling you what's about to happen. It's another thing when I've seen it and I've got thoughts. 
Anyway, we are done. I'm your host, Nicole, aka Nikki. Y'all are my besties. You know what this is. This is the Obsessible Podcast. Thank you for listening. And I will see you next time. Bye.